0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates Podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Melissa Femia from KISS 1065. Melissa has been in radio for over 15 years with Today FM Nova Sydney and Melbourne and now KISS 1065. We chat about the moment she knew she wanted to be an announcer, what she loves most about the job and her passion for health and fitness. Melissa is one of the brightest and most energetic people you'll ever meet so I really hope you enjoy our chat. (laughs) Hello, Melissa Famiya. How are you?
1: You got my surname right. You've pronounced it properly, Ralph. How good are you? Oh,
0: I just listen. I'm a listener.
1: <laughs> You're good. No one ever gets that right. <laughs> Five little letters. Um, anyway, I digress. I'm well, and it's good to see you out of the studio.
0: I know. It's lovely to see you. Missy, where does yeah. that come from?
1: Missy, I've – well, my family and friends all call me Missy actually. So it's Melissa or Missy. So I've grown up with it. All my, um, every, everyone that's close to me calls me Missy. And in fact, years ago when, um, I was, um, wanting to get on the radio and I went to my program director and I was like, well, you know, I want to go with Missy because I thought Melissa's quite generic. You Mm -hmm. know, Missy is what everyone calls me. And he's like, no, you sound way too young. You know, we're going to go with Melissa and then they cut it to Mel and then it's gone back to Melissa and Mel. And I've never liked Mel.
0: You, know, you never really liked Mel. I you've always Mel to me. Like I know, I know everybody calls you Missy, but I call you yeah,
1: Mel. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't correct. I don't mind people calling me Mel, but it always felt weird for me, especially on air when I was doing Nova Top Ten. I you know was anchor as Nova Top Ten Jabber and Mel. I always felt weird saying Mel, which wow. is yeah, it's yeah, so there me. Go you know, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. I'll call you Missy from now on. Yeah, not Mel. okay, um, we're family. We run into each other every weekend at mm-hmm. ARN. I'm in the newsroom and you are, of course, doing the weekend announcing yeah. on KISS 106.5. How do you find that?
1: I love it. I love it. I love um, the format. I love being able to come in and do what I, you know, something that's just I'm so passionate about every day. So, um, well, I'm not there every day sometimes depending on the roster, but um Yeah, just being able to come into that studio, be creative, listen to music that you love, um, talk to the city that I'm from and that I love so much and while we're not curing cancer, you know, hoping that you can put a smile on someone's face or inspire them, like I never take that for granted.
0: What's the favourite part of the gig for you?
1: Favourite part, it is the whole, it's the whole thing, Ralph. Just just putting that shift together, going live, um, you get that, I get that adrenaline. Adrenaline. Even going to work, I still get excited knowing I'm going to go on air. And this is 16 years on.
0: What drew you to the industry? What made you get involved in it in the first place?
1: Um, My background is – in performing arts, so as a child, like doing all the, you know, the theatre and all that sort of stuff. And as I, you know, went through high school, I became – by probably about year 10, I knew that I wanted to work as a journalist. So um, – and then, you know, we sort of filtered through everything um, and, you know, I, I thought that sports would be the right thing for me because I love sports, especially the extreme sports. Yeah. Um, I saw myself as a TV sports reporter and especially because I'm not good at sports, my brother's got all the um, all the talent. So I figured with my communication skills, and you know, and I'd be able to sort of tell the stories that I, I, I love. And so I studied journalism. And while I was doing that, I was writing for Sports Tonight. I was working at Fox Sports, um, and I was associate producer with Planet X. So I was going on their summer um, X tours and winter. And so where did you study? I studied at McClay College.
0: Same. Yeah, did you really? Yeah, I did. There yeah, you go. And years and years and years ago. Yeah. So you obviously utilised that work experience part of the uh, course to yeah. go out there and get out there and do as much as you can and try and I guess find exactly yeah. where you wanted to be within the in- industry. That's
1: right. And when it's inspired, when you know that that path is right for you, you just can't stop. You just, I, I could work 24-7 and it, it, didn't, it didn't worry me. I didn't have much of a life outside. I wasn't like your normal early 20s all my friends are out drinking and pashing boys and here I am just like locked in studios and you know focusing on other things but um it just felt so right and then I I did get a job with Planet X and so um I was cruising with them and and starting to write and do all the interviews and and that was brilliant I was working at Today FM um on the street team I got a job on the street team and I hadn't thought about necessarily being on air at that point as a radio presenter but um I had this uh, this moment where my, my course changed and I was walking past the on-air studio at Today FM and Ronnie Sparks was the morning announcer at the time and we know Ronnie, yeah, working absolutely. with him at ARN. He's just a brilliant presenter and I'm watching him and he's working the panel and he's talking live and everything was going on and it just literally hit me. I had this wave of excitement through me and I knew that that's what I was meant to do. It just all made sense
0: so what steps did you then take to make sure that that became a reality because you look at the people that do the street team and some of them see it as a bit of a pathway to get into the announcing side of things and yeah. other people just use it for what other benefit they might want to get into yeah. the promotion, just stay in that promotion to yeah. the marketing side so it's obviously something that can be a good progression because it gives you that foot in the door in the first place. Brilliant,
1: and as long as you're using it right, and, and you're right, the, it is a, an area for you to you know, get into whatever part of the industry that you want to. I found a lot at my time. There was a lot of people that just wanted to get in to be famous, just get on TV, yeah. and weren't willing to do the hard work that goes along with it. But um, for me, that you know, many people don't know, it's the craft that really matters to me. So I'm really Who passionate. You that? Um, well, I guess. Watching the people that um, I idolize, which would be people like Ronnie Sparks, and you know, who just, you know, their work is seems so effortless. However, the however, it's just so it's so deliberate at the yes. same time and it's so clever. So I try to while I hold on to who I am. And I don't like to listen to how other people do their presenting because I don't want it to deter from who I am. Um, I, I then just practice my craft and how I want to be able to sound the way that I do. And and I just became obsessed with that. And I got in the studio, I asked one of the late announcers if I could come in and just watch the watch them panel. And it was real to real back then. Going like long time. It's yeah, real old school. Yeah. And so um I was I just took notes and then I spent every waking moment and probably um, minutes and hours that I should have been asleep I'm practicing tool I'd get kicked out by the breakfast show sometimes I'd get so caught up practicing um and it wasn't until in fact I had a number of demos ready to go to show my program director at um today FM and I never thought they were good enough I was like no it's not good enough it's not good enough and I just kept going and then one day I had um someone walk in and say what are you doing and have a listen he's like no bang you're on air so I wow. was- actually wasted six months. I would go to walk to my program director's daughter showing my demo, and I thought I got scared away because I thought it wasn't good enough and I need to keep practicing.
0: Wow, That's a real lesson in f- for people that are looking to break in is that there's no substitute for putting in those flying hours behind the scenes, is there really?
1: I don't think so. You know, I mean, I was brought up that you need to work hard and if you work hard, your boss is going to notice. And and I don't know that that necessarily, you know, if I had to take it to the extreme that I did sometimes. I see a lot of people come in with much ease Mm. and still kind of get there. But I believe that that – That helped me build really strong foundations and 16 years on, I'm still here. I've never been out of work. I've worked across TV, radio, um, producing, presenting and, and reaching and achieving all of my dreams and I don't know that I would have got there had I not done, yeah, the groundwork.
0: And so where did that then lead you to? How did you get to that point where you got that shift that was yours that you coveted for all of those hours and hours and hours of practice that you put in?
1: It didn't take long. And I, and I, you know, I, I do a lot of mentoring and I, I teach at afters and everything. And I don't mean that, you know, I know a lot of people go and do the regional areas and I didn't have to go and do all that, but I did put the hours in, in Sydney. Um, and I think having to do that in Sydney meant that I had to raise the bar really high. But yeah, it was probably, I did 10 shifts at Today FM and then I got picked up by Nova and I got my first um, daytime shift, work shift, um, Nova Melbourne.
0: Talk to me about that. What was it like <laughs> moving to a city that you didn't know? Never been to, Ralph. Never never, never even went to I'd there. I've never
1: been to Melbourne. I've, I'm a beach girl, insular peninsula, northern beaches. You know, we always follow the sun or the snow. <laughs> so, yeah, I went to Melbourne and everyone's like, oh, you're going to love it. It's awesome. And I'm thinking, yeah. And I'm like, well, I live near Manly, so where should I move to? And they're like, St Kilda, it's so much like Manly. I got the shock of my life.
0: <laughs> sorry, That's, I'm sorry. That's not a beach. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no. Nah.
1: So I got down there in all my colours, and um, and then realised that I needed to sort of change the um, the attire to all black. But no, it's not that bad. I, I learned a lot about um, fashion and class, and a lot in Melbourne. I Mel- Melbourne is a brilliant city, and to this day, for media and on air, it was. It was the it was the best time for me, best learning ground. Even though it was never home, yeah. And I was there for three years, so I did afternoons. I then went to mornings. I was the only female on air on commercial radio um, at the time, so I had a lot of um, I had a lot of
0: talk to me about that because that's groundbreaking. Like that's that's exciting. The fact that someone was willing to give you that opportunity to be that person, and yeah. you're able to slot in. To that role, yeah, uh, and especially in those days, that would have been in the, I guess, the infancy of, of Nova. Um, as, yeah, it a, as, was. A, as a radio it just station. launched
1: in Melbourne. It, I think it'd been around for um, maybe a year or so. Um, it was very early on in the in the early on in the piece, um, and I was like either side of um, people who were big names down there as well, you know. Um, and I was like just coming in, it's really green and learning on air. So um, it was a brilliant opportunity, and I was very lucky, very fortunate to to get that. But I I never thought um, I never thought I was there. I always every shift, you know, just trying to better myself. Um, I'd be critical on myself and 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 try to just try to raise the bar constantly.
0: What was the feedback like being the only female presenter on air at the time?
1: Yeah, I. Kind of in the beginning, um, it was hard because when the audience found out that I was from Sydney, I it wasn't received very well. Um, and it was way before Facebook, not way before, but before people could sort of get on your social platforms and and start sort of hammering you, which it probably would have um affected me more. Yeah. But you know, you know, I'd I'd hear that, you know, if I'd say something wrong or if I pronounce something wrong, you'd just get hammered. And I was young and I would take it to heart. I'd get really upset because…
0: You It sounds like from already what we've discussed, you are a really hard marker on yourself and you very um set high standards for yourself in terms of your professionalism. So yeah. that must have been a difficult thing to deal with knowing that, okay, you're out of your comfort zone mm. in a new city that you didn't know yeah. and then you pretty much, like you said, had to learn on the job.
1: Yeah, yeah, you do. You have to learn on the job. And, I mean, I was lucky my program director was, you know, super supportive and said, don't worry, they're going to turn it around, Um, you know, be like, you know, send her back to Sydney. And and naive as I was because we loved Melbourne, everyone loved, um, you know, all my friends I hadn't been, but you know, family loved going to Melbourne, never thought of anything bad. So I didn't realize at that point, which sounds so stupid, I didn't even know that there was a rivalry between the two cities. Yeah. And so I had to stop following in at, um, NRL and my beloved Manly and um, adopt an um, AFL team, Who which did I did you pick up um, Melbourne. Right. Yeah, Melbourne. because the guy I was living with at the time, um, he worked for another station and he was, um, at, he was. Um, a big Melbourne follower. So I used to go to the games with him, he taught me all about the games. Right. So I actually did become like a big Melbourne supporter.
0: And how hard was that to get into originally? Because obviously Sydney is so diverse, people you know, they'll, they'll either follow a football team or they, they won't. They'll, yeah. Whereas Melbourne, it's like it's you a have to, otherwise you're just considered some kind of... Freak, alien-type yeah. being. That's right, and
1: I had no idea. And, again, like learning on the job but learning about the difference in, in cultures between Sydney and Melbourne, huge, absolutely huge, and it is. It's a religion down there, and I think um, we had a distant family friend that, <laughs> that you know, mum and dad just gone, oh, go see them because I hadn't met, made any friends at this point, and their son had, had his 21st birthday, and I'd been in Melbourne for about two weeks, and I went there, and he was um, – half Italian, half Chinese and so we've gone to this, um, I've gone to this backyard 21st and, and the grandparents and half the uh, aunties and uncles, no one could speak English, but what was on in the background was the um, AFL game and everyone was watching this at this 21st and there's these grandmas just screaming in their language, you know, <laughs> go. And I was like this is a, this is awesome, you know, to think that something could just unify yeah. everyone. I thought it was really powerful and brilliant. I loved it.
0: So what led to the next move? So you said that you were there for three years?
1: Yeah. So I was there, I did mornings and afternoons um, for the first couple and then I've it's funny, it's funny, you've got to be careful what you wish for. But at the time I always my dream was to host a, a countdown show. Right. And I've been told in the embryonic stages in my career, you know, when I was on the street team, no, you're never gonna be able to do that. You don't have it, blah, blah, blah. And oh, so wow. I knew I knew that it's something that I could do. And that I would excel in and I went to, um, I went to my program director and I said, oh, I'm a little bit bored. You know, is there something more that I can do? Yeah. And so we started demoing with um, some other comedians and um, we started a night show right,
0: okay. in Melbourne.
1: And we went number one straight away, number one AM, FM on many ratings. And um, Who
0: did you do that with?
1: There uh, Johnny Katz. Okay. Yeah. He was um, sort of up and coming back then. Yeah, so we did that and that was great. The Then after um, that year, I went back to Sydney, Nova, and I was there for three years and I did uh, Nova Top 10 with Jabba.
0: What did you learn about the transition back to Sydney? What was that like?
1: Interesting. I, you know, I found at the time and I don't necessarily know what it's like now but I found Melbourne audience on an FM dial they they love to, uh, they they love more intelligence on air. You know what I mean. They love to go into depth. You know, we were doing skits that were like politically. I can't say that properly right now. Mm. <laughs> I'm skewed. You know what I mean. Yes. We were doing like really just different kind of stuff. And I thought that I could bring what I've just been doing from um, from Melbourne up there, and it just doesn't talk to the Sydney
0: audience. That's obviously a very quick sort of curve that you have to adjust to, knowing that a certain audience. Wants something, and another audience wants something completely different. So I would imagine that would have been something that you would have been able to, okay, say, oh, well, I need to adjust to that yeah. and get on board pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, that's right. And if you want to be successful, you have to. And again, it's it's learning. It's all it's always evolving. You always have to keep evolving. And you know, you got to find out what do the audience want. And in Sydney at the time, it was more that LA style, you know, Hollywood. Um, interviews not with obscure bands but more sort of mainstream and you know we adjusted I was producing the show as well as co-hosting and we we found a way to um to make it work it was faster pace it was it was different but um yeah if you, you stay open you keep evolving, you can. Um, you don't necessarily have to be pigeonholed to one kind of genre,
0: do you? Did you think that that was giving you some kind of advantage that you had to put the show together as well as announce, knowing that you knew what was coming? So you were yeah. able to direct it, whereas sometimes if you work on a show, you've got a producer and you've got the announcers and while they're all in one team, it's mm. it's different ideas coming from a different person, whereas yeah. if you're running the show and announcing the show, it's got a lot of you in it.
1: Yeah, that's right. I guess we didn't have the budgets for, for all the extra people, the extra staff, and I, I know it's different now, but um, I had always been a producer and presenter of the show, so that was the only way I, I guess I excelled more. And sometimes there's that that sort of time um, delay when you've got to get from one ID to the other. But, you know, I could almost jump hurdles and, you know, because I knew what was coming up and you don't have to wait for someone to tell you. And then I was just helping to direct the on-air team. So I was anchoring at the time. There were no females anchoring either. So it was a really, a really different different kind of time then.
0: From a female point of view, what did you find was most difficult? Did you have to, I guess, cop any flack from bosses or did you feel like being some kind of, you know, leading lady in many ways that it opened you up for more criticism?
1: I had, and I'm not going to say any names or where it was, he doesn't work in the industry anymore, but I did have one particular um, problem with someone and, you know, I was just all about just working hard and being nice to everyone and putting it together and making sure everyone was happy and he felt, I don't know if he felt threatened or anything and he used to really kind of pick at me. Right. Uh, And, um You know, I I got, I was getting praise from another female superior and he didn't get the response that he wanted and he would, he used that against me. It's kind of like when I'd start to bring an idea in and he'd be like, right, everyone shut up. She's talking and things like that. And I know that he would not have done that if I was a guy, right? you know, and, and, and the hardest thing for me was in the team, I was the only girl. Yeah you know, so you had your production guy, you had um, assistant producer male, you know, my co-host was male. And then there was token me mm. who was, you know, producing, anchoring, co-host and, um, and, and trying really hard to, um, be accepted, which I was, I yeah. was accepted, but you know, you don't, you almost don't want to sort of stand out too much. Yeah. That the you know, other people might be different, but that's me. I don't want to, I don't like confrontation. And when you can feel that someone is working against you for no reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how did you was, overcome that?
1: I was really, really distraught and it made work uncomfortable for me when we had to have meetings and things. And I actually approached him and I said, Look, can you, can you please stop doing this in front of my peers? Because, you know, we have to have a certain amount of respect. And he just sort of, put his feet up on the desk, cross his arms and his legs yeah. and give me nothing and, and I never did anything. I I never went and spoke to anyone about it but um, he's no longer around, don't know where he is.
0: <laughs> it can really affect the energy of the team and the show as well, can't it? Something like that.
1: Yeah, well it made them uncomfortable when they're, you know, someone that's on their team isn't being treated right. You know, they don't like to see but then no one wants to talk up.
0: Now you mentioned there that you were interested in sport and doing a whole lot of things pre the announcing thing. Mm-hmm. I guess- that kind of opened the door for you when you spent several seasons down in the snow being a snow reporter. Tell me about that. What what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, it was the best, the highlight of my career. And while it wasn't sort of, um, you know, on a massive scale like some of the stuff that I've done, it definitely brought all of my passions together. And it was something that I always wanted to do. And so after um, nine years straight in radio, I kind of was like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm about to turn 32. You know, do I reinvent here? Do I go back and find another, you know, job in radio? And I thought, no, there's still many, many um, boxes I want to tick. And so I um, I hit up um, Perisher and, um, you know, set my stuff down and I got the, the job down there as head reporter. I was um, media supervisor as well. Yep. So I was doing all the ski reports for um, the Today Show, Fox Sports, Fuel TV, Sky News, Weather Channel, daily on air live and it was just a rush you know reporting from the top of Australia it's
0: amazing it seems as though it'd be something that would be a perfect fit for you is that how you felt and is that why what it made it so comfortable and easy for you I walked straight into it Yeah. yeah
1: and that's not because I can do that it was it was right you know when you have those in those inspired kind of thoughts, you got to run with them because sometimes they're calling out because it's your calling. And at that time it absolutely was. And, and being able to learn because I'd never worked in regional being part of a regional hub that was obviously broadcasting to, you know, national Metro markets, um, it was good for me to learn how to work a small team. So you had the one camera guy, you had the one editor, you had another reporter and that was it and you guys were, you were all just pumping out so much uh, content daily. You were doing 12-hour days. Um, it was You finished one um, interview and then you're changing jackets for the next one and then you're writing a million scripts like back to back and then you, you're doing all the, um, the tourism stuff as well, all the writing.
0: So right. what did that teach you about? I guess time management and also just being able to do things accurately and quickly in a short time frame. Because I'd imagine the deadlines would have been hectic.
1: The deadlines were hectic, and I I think coming from um, working in live radio definitely helped. Like that was the that was the perfect training ground. So, I kind of walked into being able to deal with deadlines easy because you know what it's like in radio. You've yep. got three minutes on this song. You've got 30 seconds to edit that 10-minute interview and get it to air. So, I dealt with that quite well. Um, I think it taught you when you're working six days a week, 12-hour days, there's burnout and and my level, um, the how, level. How
0: important was that recognizing it in other people as well as yourself, the burnout factor?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really important because you've got to work as a team and without that part of the team you can't get what you need out
0: you're managing content and it's got to be at the highest quality all of the time because that's what the expectations are
1: yeah that's right and and you know you couldn't put a comma out of place you know um the grammar had to be perfect you got in trouble and (laughs) you know for and then you're you get in trouble if someone if it got past you if someone else had done it so there was a lot of accountability there and um but i love that
0: i'd imagine also now with the advent of social media, um, it was probably in the infancy at that at that stage. That now the content for people doing those snow reports would be even um, magnified tenfold. Yeah, I suppose.
1: Well, I think they've dropped the TV side of it now, wow. so they're just doing all the Instagram and online stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Twitter,
1: Twitter, and all that. Yeah, pretty but, much. So it's um, it's becoming. I got in just you know in time to have that. Brilliant experience.
0: What did you do then in those off season I was, Because obviously that's only going to be for a certain time yeah. frame every year.
1: Yeah, it was about five and a half months or six months with setup. But I was actually um, doing a music TV program for Sun Cross 10, Land of Music. Right. So I was um, hosting an Australian music show interviewing bands um, and I was producing that as well. So I was doing that and that was um, coming out of Canberra. I was also on air at Mix 1065 at the time. So I'd go home to Sydney be on air on the weekends and then I come down to Mel uh, to Canberra and I was filming four shows a week we were filming four shows because they had to be different for each market so Queensland New South Wales Adelaide Victoria so
0: <laughs> tell me about the difference between hosting a national radio show and hosting a TV show
1: I found TV frustrating why because there's well it wasn't live Okay. So there was a lot of downtime, a lot of um you know what it's like when you when you are live and with radio, especially when you've got that team, you've got that adrenaline going, you've got the countdowns, um, you know, you need a sound effect, it's there, it's there's so much going on. do not have to worry about how you look as well. No, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> but
1: then TV, which I loved doing landed music, it was brilliant, but it was slow. It was slow and I never realized how slow. It is to put together a TV show.
0: Because you don't strike me as somebody that would sit idly by. You're like – you're a bundle of energy. So to have that – well, I guess it would be kind of like a pause button while yeah. the TV production would be coming together. Yeah. I imagine you'd be pacing the floor. Yeah, it's
1: kind of like, why? And then, you know, we're breaking for lunch. I'm like, lunch? <laughs> what? I've never heard of a lunch break. Are you serious? You don't get lunch breaks. Um, I'm eating my dinner while I'm, you know, counting down the top 10 songs. But, um, so it was different, but I loved it and I, I loved all aspects of it. It was cool. And when you watch it back, it was great. But yeah, that's just a, an observation of mine that, you know, even though I I love TV so much, the
0: the radio,
1: not as much as I get in radio.
0: Is that something that, you look back on now but you're proud of actually doing because ultimately you can put it together and it becomes more of you being a complete media package and performer. So somebody comes to you and say, okay, well, she can do radio but she's also very comfortable with TV. She can do communication side of things. She can do the producing thing. How important is it? And there's a lot of people in the industry that are of that mind that, this is the job that they do and that's all they do, whereas you kind of come from a different viewpoint and you're just like, well, I can actually do everything. So your employment prospects are always going to be at that higher level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And – I encourage whenever I do any sort of mentoring or, or teaching that you get as many skills behind you as possible because you don't know what's happening in the industry or, you know, when I lost my job, my show was number one for you straight. So it's not necessarily about your skill or what you're doing. It's, you know, it's personal preference or what, the direction that the station's going. So you need to be able to pay the bills, stay relevant, and, yeah. and that has helped me. But the other thing is too I I, I respect behind the scenes so much. It's, you know, I want to learn how to do that because I think it's an integral part of being great on air as well.
0: So those skills that you're able to develop behind the scenes, do you think that they actually helped you on air as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, 100%. In what way? Um, Something really basic, you know, before I got on air or while I was trying to get on air, I used to do phones for the Hot 30 long, 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 long time ago. Yeah. And I learned that what you know, listening. You know, getting the the caller ready, getting them to the point that you need. You know, to get the the best out of them, sort of prepping them. Yeah. So that helped me when I got on air, and I didn't have the producer. I didn't have you know all the extra little bits. I knew how to prep a call to get to air, and then um, and then also editing as well. So you're listening to the show as a producer and then you can hear where you need to those edit points. So then when you are live on air, it becomes more natural.
0: Take me behind the scenes. People that listen out there to the radio, Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily know what goes on during those breaks where the songs are on or the ad breaks are on. Yeah. Take us to that. Explain a little bit about that because people that have no idea about radio just think you're there, you're standing there and you play a song and then you're just waiting for the next sum- song wish. to come along <laughs> to sing it. So just take me through that. What, well, because I've spent a bit of time with you in the studio and it's, it's crazy time in there. You're from the time you walk in that studio door to the time you leave, you're pretty much on the job. All the time. yeah
1: and you've made comments on Twitter you know when I'm running to the bathroom going you've just set a new <laughs> world record and and the reason is because sometimes you're holding on for two hours and you can't get a break because <laughs> they put the women's toilets all the way down the end but um yeah it is it's it's it, once once it's on it's on you're on like three three and a half minute deadlines for each song Um you've got liners to get out you've got credits to get out you've got um there's a lot of information that you need to um you need to organize into these certain breaks and then you know then you're breaking down what songs are coming up trying to find a way to um to sort of tease and keep the audience engaged so what am I going to say that's going to make them want to stick around and hear what I've got to say next or, or or play next so there's there's that you know, you 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 need to be creative on the spot, um, and also too, which a lot of people don't realize now, and and it's all it's all very new with social media like Instagram and Twitter. Yep. You know that's part of your shift now. So I'm tweeting, you know, twice an hour. I'm posting Instagram um, photos and and what have you, um, maybe once an hour or something. So you got to find.
0: That's an expectation content. now as part of the, the, yeah, the shift too. As part of it. Get your hands across every aspect to promote the show while you're on air as much as you can.
1: So what I'll do is I'll, you know, see a song that's coming up and there's a headline on Rihanna and I'll probably go find a picture of that and then I'll write a little bit of the story and tease, find out the next bit coming up in 10 minutes. So you can actually use social media to bring people back to the show or if not, you can, you know, you're still entertaining them on – on other media platforms.
0: So when you get home, are you pretty much exhausted after your shift of a weekend? You know
1: what I am? I, you know, say to when I get home, I say to my husband, don't talk. Shush. Quiet time. Quiet time. And then all of a sudden I'm like this Jekyll and Hyde and like an hour later I'll come out, Hi baby, how are you? <laughs> but yeah, I can't. I'm like radio off while I'm driving home. But yeah, you know, you 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 give everything and you know you've got to have that balance, don't you?
0: Now, tell me about teaching others. You mentioned that you do some work with afters. Yeah, yeah. What's that like to sort of pass on your knowledge to people that are looking to break into the radio industry?
1: It's great. I, in the very beginning, I didn't really have a mentor. Okay. Um, I didn't have, I didn't feel that I had found someone besides, you know, my program director at the time, but you know, someone outside of there.
0: You strike me as a self-taught type of person anyway, like learn on the run, teach myself, listen to a few other people and make my own identity. Is that yeah. pretty much how you are?
1: Yeah. And I, and I actually had a rule in the beginning and I never listened to another female. Not that there was many females around then, but I wouldn't listen to any females because I didn't want to to sound like them. Yeah. Um. And I found that a lot of people do that. You know, they'll listen to someone that they like, and then they become them, which is really, it's unfortunate because they've probably got something more to offer that's more authentic from themselves.
0: Well, you want to so sound like an individual, right? You want, you want, to, want to sound different to yeah. everybody else because everyone has their own unique sound.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, I stress that to um any of the you know the people that we're we're teaching, whether it be through afters or I do you know talking at um unis or whatever whatever I'm doing. So absolutely being authentic, teaching them to to find find someone and believing themselves as well. That's a big thing. Like I mentioned earlier about um, having, you know, someone tell me, oh, you're never going to be able to host a yeah. countdown show. You don't have that. And just because I was sort of being quiet in the scenes and, and learning didn't mean that I didn't have what it takes to be competitive or to do the job. And So, so
0: retaining it, that ambition has always yeah. got to be something that drives you.
1: Yeah realistic though as well because, you know, there's a lot of people that that come through in, in the schools and, and such that, you know, oh, I just want to be on air because everyone has this whole fame thing going on and I was never driven by fame. and never It never interests me. And so they, they want the profile. They want this. They want that. However, you know, their on air stuff probably isn't their strength. They've got the right radio mind or TV mind or whatever, but they're probably going to be brilliant as a producer or a writer yep. or a music director, you know? So... Be realistic, you know, give something a go, but have a timeline and then find someone that you can trust that can help you um, to develop and then also let you know, like show you your strengths if they don't happen to be on air.
0: You worked with the Kyle and Jackie O show last year yeah. doing the producing side of things. What was that like as an experience just going on a show that's extremely well established and high rating and, mm-hmm. and, and well well known across the country? How do you go into something like that and, and sort of go behind the scenes and bring your own energy and ideas and try and work with the guys that are working on uh, that show behind the scenes?
1: Well, it's a great team and it was um, very welcoming for me and a brilliant experience. And funnily enough, you know, the executive producer now, Nick McClure and Kyle and Jack, 15 years ago, I was doing their phones for the hot 30. So I've worked with them and we, well, I, for me, I started the same time that their show started just before. So I've, um, you know, really witnessed the, um, how much the show has evolved. I've got the utmost respect for for everyone that works on that show including the hosts and for Nick. And so being able to, um, to, to work on it so many years later and, you know, I've been often helped them out and this year as well, um, it's great. It's a well-oiled machine. Um, obviously, it's an extremely high level, and you know you're being challenged, which I love. So it's an absolute challenge for me to work there and make sure that my ideas can sort of, you know, cut it.
0: <laughs> you mentioned the word evolve there, and the show really had to do that because radio is a changing landscape. There's mm. so much fragmentation in the market with different options available for people, yet that show is always. Managed to stay relevant and adopt and embrace the use of social media, which it allows the promotion of the show. Yeah. How important do you think that is in this day and age where things are changing so quickly and radio stations dump radio programs after not even a year sometimes? Yeah,
1: it's really important. I think what, you know, Kyle and Jack have that's, that is brilliant is the fact that they've established such a trust with their audience. So, you know, going back... In my early twenties, and most people in their teens are still listening to the show now in their late thirties and forties. You know, they've they've established a trust and people feel like they're part of um, you know, they're they're listening to their friends. It's something that's um is familiar to them.
0: Knowing that audience, as we said before, is obviously very important, but they've actually managed to keep that generational change where they still appeal to that really younger audience but they're also kept that audience that has grown up with them over the yeah. last 15 years.
1: Yeah, I guess staying staying current and, and, and being open to not thinking that, you know, we know everything. This formula has worked forever so let's just slowly, you know, don't lose who we are, um, stay authentic to our brand but we need to add this in and we need to add that in and, you know, um, checking out what other places are doing as well and, and and just kind of having those big brainstorms. It's like what can we do that will be a game changer on social media this time around. But I, even though they have evolved so much, they're still so true to who they are and who they were back then.
0: You said earlier that you went to Maclay College, mm-hmm. as I did. So that's, I think, three things we've got in common. Yeah. McClay College, 39, born in February. That's a, and we
1: work at ARN.
0: Oh, we both work at ARN. Yeah. So it's four things. Yeah. That's about where it stops. You're <laughs> on the northern beaches. I'm from the, the Shire. You're into health and fitness and I'm clearly you're not. not. <laughs> um, tell me about that side of things for you. That's something that you're also very passionate yeah, about.
1: Yeah, yeah, and always have been. So, you know, throughout my radio or media career, it's always been a big thing. In fact, I studied um, my cert three and four, I got that while I was living in Melbourne doing the on-air um, morning shift. So it, it's it's something that's always helped me through hard times. It's given me my balance as well, you know, go out, go for a run. That's when yep. I'll get my ideas sort of pumping and, you know, what am I going to do on air today? It's, it really does come from that for me. It's just been a saving grace through all the peaks and valleys of my career and keeps you out of trouble, <laughs> you know. But I've always wanted to have a a wellness style brand and so I'm working on that at the moment. I've been teaching health and fitness to women for 10 years. and
0: Is that where you see your future? You're able to – because you did have a program called Body Body and Soul Soul on on Mix and you were able to combine those passions of health and fitness and Mm. also radio. Is that a direction where you see yourself going? Because obviously there are people out there like you – Michelle Bridges, who's built an amazing brand out of that entire uh, philosophy and using all of those principles to make herself known as this – uh, I guess, bigger brand than The Biggest Loser, obviously, yes. the, the TV show that gave her a platform. Is that something where you'd sort of see yourself in that, you know, lower tier down from yeah. her?
1: Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, I mean, obviously, Body and Soul was an awesome platform for getting the message out and, you know, that show was out before the whole Fitzbo thing took over. I and mean, yeah. this has been something. I didn't, you know, fall off the last wellness wagon. It's been part of me since – A teenager, I was drinking warm water and lemon with cane pepper as a kid. Mum would give it to us, you know what I mean? An (laughs) apple cider vinegar every day, sorry. It's it's something that's been in me forever. And now, you know, I've been dealing with um, chronic health issues the last almost two years. And so I've had time to sort of, I've been doing a lot of study. I'm doing integrative nutrition and um, just working on how I want to be able to help people and, and, and that's really what I want. Again, I was saying before I'm not into the whole fame thing and the profile thing but actually being able to make a difference in someone's life, like that's what drives me. So, you know, putting that together, getting out, doing seminars, using, um, you know, different platforms in the media, absolutely. Having a show again, being able to do that and, and inviting people on to give us, you know, their expert advice.
0: Because it seems like it's a market that is a fairly – how, how should I say it? A fairly crowded space. Yeah. In there. There's a lot of so-called experts out there delivering information. There's a lot of surveys out there. I kind of think to the general public, how do we separate the fact from the fiction and, and going deeper into that information so that, okay, we can get the relevant information that is right for each individual because there might be a whole lot of shonksters out there that people don't know about and are going to be uh, misinformed about. Yeah, all of
1: this. well, there are. You're right, Ralph, and it's a totally saturated market. And you know, social media is brilliant for inspiring people, and it's and it's great to you know sort of think, oh, I want to jump on that and become healthy, better that than nothing out there, and people sort of staying possibly where they don't want to be. However you know, social media being so easy for people to get themselves out there.
0: How much of a trap is like Google for all of that stuff?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, question everything. I mean, even with dealing with my health issues last year and a half, you know, you get on there and you Google and experts that I'm seeing, they, I've had to go out and study and learn more because they don't necessarily know. They've... Put me around the ringer, you know what I mean. And these are experts, so you got to be really careful. But well, ask are they? they
0: so that's the other thing. It's just like, well, are they getting kickbacks from medicinal companies or herbal remedies, or you don't know the agenda behind some of these so-called experts out there. So I imagine it would take a lot of work to actually, like I said, filter the good information from the bad.
1: Yeah, you know, you just need to be. You just need to be aware that there are, you know, the. the the people out there that don't necessarily know what they're doing. If you've got something serious going on with you, you go and address a, a doctor or someone very reputable and don't be listening to the, you know, don't be watching what's going on, on Instagram, the latest hashtag fitspo kind of thing. Because, you know, while that person might have a clue or might be, you know, completely, you know, qualified in, in that area, you've got more of a chance of um, finding someone that isn't necessarily right for you and falling into that trap.
0: So joining all those dots together, you said there that fame wasn't necessarily the thing for you that Mm. is most appealing about working in media, but it must also be knowing that you've got some kind of profile out there in the community that you can use your name to attach the media side of you and also the health and fitness side and all of that thing can combine and you can leverage it, right?
1: A hundred percent, yeah. And... I believe, though, because at a younger age, had I jumped on the social scene and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, I had managers approach me saying, right, what we need to do with you is you need to start dating sportsmen, we need to get you out, you need photos, we need oh, to expose you, you know, this will bring jobs and I'm going, really, you know, uh, you know you're know, you young and, you know, cute or whatever and they're, they're thinking, right, this is what we could do with you. But it's like for me a number one show was more my yep. my drive and I, I saw a lot of my colleagues and um and and people take that path and and possibly um ruin you know a reputation whereas the fact that I've kind of stayed just underneath then you know that I could now use now I know what I want to do with it. I could sort of come out maybe unscathed or, you know, be able to um gain trust. I guess, because it's my whole thing has been I've just stayed on that health, fitness, you know, be positive, work.
0: So reputation, you would say, is very important for you?
1: Yeah, integrity. Integrity is really important.
0: Would that be the number one thing that drives you or keeps you, I guess, grounded in in many ways, that you're not prepared to compromise that side of your life? 100%. Yeah.
1: No, never. I would never compromise that. And you've got a real responsibility being on air, having a microphone to your city, your town, whatever it is, um, you know, especially when I was doing uh, top uh, the countdown shows, you've got um, uni students and um, school kids listening to you and I remember one boy approached me, he, he reached out to me and he's like, you know, something that you said last night, he goes, I was um, ready to commit suicide and he said something that you said wow. last night just changed my whole viewpoint and it hit me then just how responsible you have to be on air. And, you know, I stayed in touch with him for um,
0: a couple of years. So you never know who's listening at any one time. Do you?
1: Or what they're going through, Ralph.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, how important, as you said, is that responsibility to know that you can't be flippant on air with your comments because somebody out there may, in fact, take it the wrong way or...
1: Yeah, that's right. It could be, you know, and you don't know what mind space someone is in. Um, And they could go one way or the other. The same thing would happen with Body and Soul. I had a a guy call me. I happened to be live on air after Body and Soul program Um, went to air around the country and a call came through and I just answered it. And he's like, oh, uh, is that you, Melissa? I was like, yeah. He goes, oh, um, you know, we would put something to air about... um, depression that uh for, for males, what they're going through. Yep. And he said the same thing. He goes, I've I've been going through that, you know, and, you know, I'm just gonna reach out and, you know, beyond blue, blah, blah, blah. Thank you so much. And, you know, you really could make a difference to one person's life mm. to more. And and I do go in on air thinking that all the time. You can't take it for granted.
0: How important for your career has been able to evolve and adjust and be Uh, Adaptable in many situations, so that okay, started off with the whole street team, Mm -hmm. then it was announcing, then it was like off to the snow to do this, and now it's we're talking about you know developing your brand in a a health and fitness area. Always being able to identify opportunities is something that you've got to keep doing if you want to stay in this business. How important is that for you?
1: Yeah, really important. I want to stay in the business because I love it. It's the creative outlet. It's the heartbeat. You know, I feel like if I couldn't jump on air and put a show together, it's i would make me want to cry. You know, you, I want to be doing it yeah. for a long time to come. But um, the evolution with me, I guess it's all things that I've wanted to do from the very beginning. It's just you need sometimes the right timing, the right opportunities Um, They haven't always come up when I've wanted them. That job at the snow, you know, I actually applied for that 12 years before or 10 years before, but I wasn't ready, you know, and then the same guy hired me 10 years later, you know, which is the timing might not be right, but, you know, if I could give anyone any advice is just to always be as prepared as you can be. Obviously experience you can only get from having the experience, but you can be prepared. So you do your research, Do your – learn the craft, speak to people. Um,
0: How much is knowing what you're capable of and knowing what the parameters are in terms of your talent? I mean you're not going to necessarily know that when you're a young person coming through but having that, um, I guess, ability to to recognise what it is that you are good at, okay? So you might have aspirations to be an on-air announcer but it's a very – limited and narrow scope to get an opportunity in that regard but you in order to to get to that point you've learned how to be a producer and you learn that you get a greater rush out of organizing a fantastic interview or mm. setting up some some great um on-air stunts or whatever the case may be yeah. how important is it knowing what your limitations are in terms of talent
1: yeah, it's a hard one because, you know, we're all about, oh, believe in yourself and keep practicing and strive hard. Um, I guess it comes back to you. Um,
0: Try everything and see what suits you. Be
1: realistic and give yourself a timeline. Set some goals. Give yourself a timeline and adopt someone. Bring someone in close who has a lot of experience that you trust and that believes in you that can actually tell you how it is. I mean, I still send I, – I doubt myself. You know, the last two years have been quite hard for me going through You know, my health issues and, you know, I've had to take many steps back as far as me being a pocket rocket and working six days a week on air. I was doing entertainment on the morning show on seven. I was doing, you know, on air here and producing this and that going crazy and then taking a step back. And that's sort of affected my confidence a little bit because you're not doing what you do all the time. So I constantly send, you know, every couple of months, I'll send an air check to someone that I, um, you know, I really, really trust and say, hey, am I still on the right path? Do you still think I've got it? What should I be working on? Yeah. You know what I mean? So you can have other people help you to be accountable for for the direction that you're going in. And that's sort of the only sort of advice I can give. And and for those who might be a little bit more intuitive or in touch with that side, I don't want to get all airy-fairy, but no. I, I, am a, I am very much like that. You know, you you will have those moments where it just feels right and that could be your calling. So you need to listen out for that. Like I got that time watching Ronnie Sparks on air. Yep. You know, I was wanting to work on Fox Sports and next thing you know, I'm watching this guy and thinking, that's it, that's what I want to do. And it just felt right.
0: So being open to all available opportunities is yeah. something that you would sort of recommend.
1: Yeah, and all and, listening because I wasn't open necessarily for that but it, it got me like a thunderbolt, had that, that – um, Oprah aha moment, and she would say, you know. Yeah. So listen out for those because sometimes you might want something so bad you've got to question why you want it because it might not be the direction that you're meant to go in.
0: We spoke about a little bit, touched on what you sort of see in your, your, your future with combining all of your great loves together. Mm-hmm. Is that the direction that you're looking to reinvent yourself in the next chapter of yeah. your, your life?
1: Yeah, and I'm currently doing that as far as – getting study you've probably picked up I don't like to just jump into something and not have a clue and you know I want people to take me seriously and be able to trust me and so I've been you know a fitness and health coach for 10 years but you know just taking it that um, step further by doing more study so.
0: So reputation and credibility and building on that and combining those all areas are all important so that all of the pieces of the puzzle come together and it's not something that you're just like, hey, I'm going to do this now.
1: Yeah, yeah, which can be a blessing and a curse though, Ralph, because being a perfectionist can hold you back, you know, like me waiting six months to show a PD my, yeah. my demo. It's like possibly wasted <laughs> time. You're, only get, you're going to be green anyway. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's something that I'm personally working on um you know sometimes you just got to let go because i am seeing what a lot of people are doing and they're not necessarily fine-tuning everything just putting it out there and they're getting somewhere but again you, who are you and and for me it's about those strong foundations and so i'm i'm working on that however i'm staying open you know i would love you know I'm older now i'm more into sort of having a work life balance still putting 100% into my work yep. but you know to have a a work day shift you know, that you can just come in and do. that. That's um, something that I would be open to as well once I sort of sort out all this health stuff. Yeah.
0: All right. We'll wrap things up in a sec, but we've already touched on it a little bit. What would be the most important advice that you could give to somebody that's looking to break into radio, TV, media in general? What would be the thing that you would, would say to them, this is what you should do in order to achieve your goal?
1: You need to act on those. You, you, need, you need to act on what you want. So it's one thing to say that you want to do something. Put the timeline together. It's like, right, identify the skills that you need and say, right, for the next month I'm going to be working on this. Get yourself prepared. Start visualizing. Okay, once you know what you want, visualize yourself there. And again, I don't want to sound all airy-fairy new age, <laughs> but I did that. I yeah. visualized myself at the snow. With, um, you know, on the Today Show with the super with my name and I did that and I did that every day while I went for my run, got the job. So, you know, prepare, visualize, be true to yourself, be authentic, don't try to be something that you're not because no one wants to hire, you know, a carbon copy of someone else. So do that and you might have something even bigger and better to offer than that no one has seen yet. And yeah, just keep ticking, ticking away at those goals, set those goals and go for it. Find, find a trusting mentor and regret something you do and not that you don't. So give
0: it a go. Melissa Fermea, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ralph. There she is, Melissa Fermea from KISS 1065. And like I said, she is a real ball of energy, isn't she? If you really enjoyed my chat today with Melissa, please let her know by sending her a tweet at Missy Fermea, which is M-I-S-S-Y-F-E-M-I-A. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesau. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. I promise to give a shout out next week to those who have already left messages. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. <laughs> it do